Batman The Audio Adventures, Monster 12, and Troika. This is staying in. Does anyone else feel like they've just been slapped in the face by September? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, suddenly got a little cooler. A little? Today I contemplated putting the odd heating on. Oh. The old heating. Not the new not the new heating though. The old heating. The old the old heating. The fire. Yeah. You've just... got to be strong in these situations. You've got to be strong. You've got to hold off for as long as you possibly can from putting that central heating on. I think it's just the actual whiplash, the 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 the, the Celsius whiplash of going from thirty plus as yeah. breaking thirty pushing thirty two, shorts out, guns out. All the way above. Yep. And then, today, blustering, windy, the little watering can we've got blowing around the side of the house. Yeah. Chilly. It's disgraceful. And I don't know who I need to write to, <laughs> but I'd like to complain. Well, people write to you, Pete, for this kind of thing. Almost, we basically had almost no summer. We had an intense summer, and then it would just rain. Well, it depends what you look for in a summer. We did have a summer, but it was just spread unevenly across the time that summer is usually allocated. There were like 17 days all split out. Oh. But it was just like, have a little bit here, have a little bit there, and have a little bit, you know. You want the regularity. One of the things I heard once was a phrase that, um, uh, I, might, I might have even said this on the podcast before, but apparently there is a phrase in Japan which is, you know, we have four seasons, and apparently they're over over in Japan. They're very proud of the fact that they actually get four seasons. Because if you think about the rest of Asia around there and Oceania around there, they don't really get four seasons. They get like two or three. Right. Well, it's wet and dry, basically. Right. Yeah. right exactly. Right. Whereas in Japan, it's like they get all four of them. And I too share their enthusiasm for having four seasons. I like the fact we have four of them. I think it's lovely. Like uh, many, many years ago, when I went over to uh, Los Angeles, it was just summer all the time. Like it's just the same thing over and over and over and over again. I would get so bored. But I'm really thankful for the fact that like the leaves are turning. Things are getting chilly. I've, I've got to get different clothes out of my wardrobe from here on out. Like I've, I've been... I've put on trousers, for example. Checking for thumb-sized holes. Yeah. You know, I've been wearing shorts the entire time. Now I'm into my trousers. Pretty soon I'll be into my thermals. You know, <laughs> I, wore, I wore my uh, waterproofs today for the first time. Did you? Yeah. It was mainly because I didn't want to get out of my uh, pyjama trousers, but so I could still walk the dog in my pyjama trousers. Yeah, I've, I've been, been there. It's quite exciting, actually, if you can wear, you know, pyjamas or long johns and then have waterproofs just over the top to kind of lay yeah. it, it out. That's and no one knows. No one and you're knows. out walking the dog and you oh, yeah. make eye contact with a fellow dog walker who like... Oh, he... What, you're like a superhero, <laughs> like how Superman must feel. Comfort man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know something you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm still in my pyjamas and it's 3pm. I'm lazy. <laughs> Not lazy, just efficient. <laughs> All right, listen. Hey, listen. You are our very own Navi, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of gently guiding you in the right direction and pissing you off at the same time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I wanted, I wanted to have a, have a confession here, and that is that I've set up in my local uh. area, I've become involved with the local community. Oh, good. So is this... Uh, if you set up your own foraging group, yeah. No, there is there is already one of those here in community run pub. Are, are you are you the new head of the neighbourhood watch? I mean, I'd love to be, um, but <laughs> what I've set up is at my local library. I have Ooh. set up what I am calling the RPG Society. <laughs> well, now. Um... I got a sneak peek, and we may have all got a sneak peek about th that this was happening, because I got an email from a lovely lady asking for a character reference about you, which 
which for a volunteer term in a library felt incredibly bureaucratic and yeah you know did you did you rip him to shreds Sam? yeah <laughs> you just sent back the video of pee on a trampoline yeah, yeah. That's, which I, I by the way is the only reason i still have twitter would you trust would you trust this man <laughs> yeah here's a video um so oh yeah i mean there, there's a lot of hoops to go through believe you me uh which you know i get <laughs> like I, I get it <laughs> why, why there are but also yeah it is a little bit um uh challenging sometimes but um but it's been really lovely setting the whole thing up and getting to work with like the local community and also getting to use the phrase society because it is a society um uh in regards to my rpg society um and i basically i was really bored in my local area one of the challenges is that there's lots of stuff to do like there's loads of lovely things to do that you can get involved in the community but the problem is unless you're retired you, you basically can't do any of them because they're all like coits at two on a thursday are you interested <laughs> in bridge i mean i might be at 11 o'clock in the morning on a friday like okay well <laughs> hold on a second um so so there's all that sort of stuff you know and while i'm totally up for bowls I'd be well up for giving bowls a go. Um, yeah, I you know none of it none of it fits within my schedule, and so I basically thought to myself, well, I'm going to set up a little. I'm going to do a little trial. So I'm doing four of these. I've done the first one already, sold out. Um, and uh, sold out. How much are you charging? I mean, it's free, so you know. Oh, um, okay. It's uh, hardly Beyonce, is it? <laughs> so you, you've got a waiting list. <laughs> I mean, there is a waiting list. What's your capacity? Five. <laughs> so, so including it's getting, him, it's getting less impressive. The more he's getting listen, here. listen. I'm, I'm, I didn't say I'm saying I'm a very salesperson focused uh, thing. Oh, we've sold out. Um, so I was, I was very keen on getting something that people who perhaps weren't interested in those, shall we say, traditional middle class, uh, lowercase c, gentle conservative <laughs> um, things, um, and try to give something back to the community a little bit um, for people who are over the age of 18 but want to do stuff around like tabletop and stuff like that, right? Because there's not really a, there's not really much of that. It's difficult to find it. And you basically have to go into the centre of Bristol to do that stuff if you want to do it. Yeah. Um, so I set this up, the RPG Society, and there's five or, five or six of us and we get together um, at the local library and we play RPGs. And we have been playing a wonderful game, which I, I think I've sort of mentioned briefly in passing on the podcast and promised I'd talk about it more at length. We have been playing a game called Troika. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, and this is Troika with an exclamation mark uh, at, at the end of it. Can I, can I just uh, ask what... And I, there, there is no humour in me asking me this question. Asking this question. I'm sure. Um, I just be like, what is the kind of the demographic that that kind of uh, are interested in this in kind of way where you're doing it. I, I think yeah. I think what yeah, I think what Dan's asking Pete is to what extent is this a sitcom premise? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it does skew younger, uh, but it it uh, it definitely isn't young. So like uh the mix was sort of like I would say we had somebody who was kind of early very early 20s and we had people who were late 40s so okay. all the run of the gamut between those so, so quite a wide the, range yeah quite a wide uh, uh um demographic i would say are interested in interested in tabletop role-playing games and the and i think i've talked about this before but the, the the person that really surprised me when playing an rpg and it wasn't with troika it was a little while ago was actually alex's mother who is you know obviously it will not mention ages but like she's an older lady um, and she is not the sort of person that you would think of as playing RPGs. And indeed, she hadn't really played RPGs all that much, it, it, really, before this. But it, if you think about it, it, RPGs are actually kind of perfect for all ages because it's basically just make-believe, and everybody's done that, right? It's just yeah. make-believe, but with a structure. Yeah, it's a, it's a storytelling device. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I'm coming to learn as I kind of play more RPGs and certainly gem lots more RPGs and then 
actually create stuff around RPGs is that the, the, the demographic actually, I think, the loud voices are, you know, male, younger, white, but actually the bigger demographics, I think, are not male, white, and younger. Like, I actually think it's it's much more broad than that. And actually, I think people who are sort of, uh, who identify as women, I think they generally are more, I think they actually enjoy and play RPGs a lot more. Um, and, um, and the age demographic, as I say, is kind of all over the place because ultimately, you know, D&D started it all off with us in the 70s, right? Yeah. Like, and so this is, I mean, it's older than video games. So if you think now, like, well, video games, you know, you've got all this really, you know, wide demo now of lots of different people who do, who play these games. I think RPGs are even broader than that. So what, so what was it about Troika that worked with you felt would work with this group? Oh, Chris. <laughs> So, so I've been playing Troika beforehand, and I think Chris, Dan, I think you've both played it as yeah, well. Yeah, and Sam, with, with me. we all played it with you. Sam, did you play it as well? Yeah, I played it. So, so I played it with you before, and so you'll know that Troika is a fantasy sci-fi, weird, slightly psychedelic, if you want it to go that route, very straightforward, OSR, so old school renaissance feel game. And by that, I mean, uh, rulings, not rules. So like very much about like GM fiat, like of, of this idea of like uh, the, the, the person running the game ha has essentially final say and is the arbiter. Unlike something like Blades in the Dark, which is a bit more collaborative where the GM is mm -hmm. uh, kind of almost like a curator. Um, so... It, it's kind of got that to it and the very rules light so mechanically really straightforward uh i have boiled all of the rules down to a single page of pretty big font uh <laughs> that um that i give out to all of my players now uh the character sheet is very minimal as well again you could fit all of that on a single page and you'd have quite a lot of spare room for notes so first of all mechanically quite simple right and the thing with this this RPG society is that I can't guarantee that I'm going to get the same people every single time that I run it, right? So it's a monthly event, no. so I can't guarantee that everybody's going to be there. So one of the challenges that I've always found with running RPGs is the idea that the, of the campaign, right? Campaigns are really exciting because you get to see these amazing evolving storylines, right? Blades in the Dark's a really good example. We've been playing it for a couple of years now, and like we, where we started is totally different to where we are now. It's It's been amazing fun to do that stuff with you, Chris. But the challenge with that is you do need a through line. You can't just have like, you know, four of the same, you know, four players, four players of the same, you know, constantly for two or three weeks and then completely change it from underneath. Like it would be very, very challenging to to keep a sort of linear, uh, a sort of linear narrative going on through that. Um, not impossible, but very challenging. Um, and it's the same, I think, with games that fall into like trad, the sort of trad genre, like so Dungeons and Dragons and Call of Cthulhu. Like if you're going to run a campaign, these are linear narratives that take place over long periods of time. And, and the point of them is that you evolve and you grow and, and you see how the story moves on. Well, Troika ain't that. You can do that if you want, but because it's so lightweight and because it's kind of a bit strange, uh, or at least it has the flexibility to be very strange, it allows you to basically run what's called an open table. And I learned about this concept about six months ago. And an open table, I'm sort of paraphrasing, is an idea that you will turn up at the same time, uh, at the same place, with the same system and the same world. And whoever turns up will play. So the world doesn't change, but the participants in the world does change over time. And so if you want to do that stuff, then you either need something that is incredibly like drop in, drop out, and that's mm. Troika, or you need long sessions. So uh, historically how that happens is you'll say, I'm running this for eight hours. And like the first hour might be people prepping their characters, right? Like there might be that. But for us, so we only do it for three hours. So the prep of our characters is five minutes. 
And Troika is perfect for that because you can generate a character in less than five minutes. In fact, you know, you can generate a character in two minutes and three minutes is coming up with a name, right? Like it, it's that level of um, ease of use. After we'd created our characters, you gave us a picture because the art is really striking in the Troika book as well. It is. Um, talking about that kind of psychedelic kind of flair that you were speaking about. And mm. I found it quite interesting. I can't remember the last time I ever played a character that wasn't human or humanoid at the very least. The characters do a lot of the heavy lifting in Troika. I think you'd, you'd think of them almost like classes uh, in D&D or something along those lines, but they're kind of like archetypes, essentially. So uh, the one I always like to point to is uh, uh, the the giant of Corda. And it's an archetype character whereby, whatever you call them, they are a giant from a place called Corda. And the cool thing about Troika is that if you read the whole rulebook, you'll get some vague ideas about what the world of Troika is about. And there is some stuff that is fairly upfront about what, what that universe is about. But a lot of the storytelling comes across in these character descriptions or even examples of, of play so it's it, it's very loose sketch about what this world actually is. And because of that, it gives you that thing that we've talked about a lot before of here's a piece of paper, here are four colors, paint a sunset, right? Like it gives you some framework to work within, but not so much that you're confined. And, and it really it really gets you going and thinking about being creative. So the giant of Corda is much bigger than everybody else, right? Like it's just a, a big a big dude uh, and he's big and strong and he's got some powers and stuff like that and as part of that archetype mechanically you get an understanding of what it is that they do by the possessions that they have and some of the skills that they have so a good one that I had <laughs> that, that we had the other day at this session was there was a, a gremlin uh, a, a gremlin catcher and they had six empty vessels empty glass jars and one jar filled with an angry gremlin, right? That is their class. That's basically pretty much everything you need to know about them, right? They have this one thing. So we know that gremlins can get angry. We know that gremlins exist. We know that they're smaller than a jar, right? So you look, think about what how big a jar is that you could probably carry around. You can carry six of them, so you can probably get an understanding of how big these gremlins are, right? We know they have these emotions, therefore they've probably got some sort of intelligence. That's the level of storytelling that they're doing in, in this setting. And I think it's really wonderful. Uh, and, and as I say, yeah, the art is absolutely stunning. Like it is, it mm -hmm. is gorgeous, um, weird. And like, you kind of look at it and you see different things in it the more that you look at it. I, I think it's absolutely incredible. Um, and this is all put together over it. So Daniel Sell was the, um, uh, the writer of the RPG um, and the... They, it's basically a, a, a writer and a, a lead artist, essentially, that's kind of puts together the Melsonian Arts Council, which is the, the people that publish this thing. And it's glorious. Like, it's a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous piece of work, and they're always putting out good stuff. And they seem to have a really good, friendly little community that's built around it. It's lovely. But the cool thing about it is it, because it's so mechanically light and because it sort of allows you to fill in the blanks, you can make it whatever you want. Like, so the adventure that I've been running is something completely of my own creation, which is around multiple realities. You can move between them when you do a certain thing. And your the whole idea is that you're trying to make sure that these that this experiment that's gone wrong, you're basically trying to sort it out for this 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 character. And what that is an excuse for is basically just weird ideas that I've had that I write down every now and again. Just, I go, huh, that'd be an interesting idea for a little, you know, 40 minute scenario. Write it all down. Come up with some broad strokes and then I go through all my notes at some point before I do a session and I go, yeah, I'm going to do that one, that one, that one, and that one. I come up with a little sketch of roughly what the area looks like. Some characters, you know, really straightforward prep. And then I run it. And it's so easy and light that it just, it just goes it, it, it you know goes seamlessly and again like basic fancy role-playing game it's a game where you your answer is not on the character sheet right so so when you look at things like advanced dungeons and dragons or 3.5 or even 5e you know like these later versions 
your answer is kind of on the character sheet, right? You're probably good at certain things, and that's probably what the answer is for you for you to do. Um, but with these old school games, it's about you outthinking the the environment, you outthinking the puzzle of the dungeon, as it were. And what that means is that it's so flexible then to introduce to new people. Because when people say, how do I climb up this thing? You say, yeah, you say, I'm going to try and climb up this thing. And then I tell you whether or not you're successful after you maybe roll a dice, right? That's easy. That's that's really easy to teach. And it means that people who have never played RPGs before, people who have got loads of experience playing RPGs and people who have played lots of modern stuff uh, and, and lots of old school stuff, everybody can kind of just get it. And that's perfect because that's what you want because you don't know who's going to turn up to your open table. Regarding that, do you not feel a sense of dissatisfaction narratively that you don't know who is going to turn up so therefore what kind of level of continuity you can stitch between i know i know the level of continuity i can stitch between it and the answer is none okay so because i have that level of certainty over what the continuity will be i can plan around that but do you but do some of your but some of your players not get frustrated because they might be turning up week to week or month to month committed to it but yet not getting the continuity that they want i think because but they have the continuity of their character so they are able to they generate a character on the first day and so what i will say is this this is it is a campaign format this open table that i have so basically people create a character and then if they turn up to a session they bring that same character with them right so they are they do have a progression of who they are moving through it and the interactions that they've had to date. And they are picking up new items and new equipment and new things to find and new bits of the story. And they are, the longer that people have been playing, the more they will start to understand this bigger world that's kind of happening as part of this experiment. But it's all background material because actually the core exciting thing about having a, a world like this is that the exciting thing is the moment to moment. It's the interactions that they're having themselves. And because of that, because there's no pressure around, oh, well, this is the one character I'm going to have for 25 sessions. Because there's none of that. People run their characters like they stole them, right? They they cool. they, yeah. they push them as hard as they can. So one, one character that we had turn up the other day was a magician who uh, is always really, uh, basically their big thing is they're kind of this weird combination of like a swamp and a person. And some of their magic is around, um, I mean, not to be too, too disgusting, but snot. They were role-playing that character, which first of all is amazing, right? Like rather than like, I'm a moody dark elf with a past, right? Which is cool, but like, but like you've seen that a thousand times. Like, how on earth do you play this weird bog creature that like has strange flatulence and uses like snot to like say basically interact with the world, right? Um, that's amazing. And people are like, cool. Well, I assume that I'm just going to run this once and it's going to be hilarious. But actually, what I'm finding is people kind of get attached to these characters because they're so different. Um, and so they have that as the continuity. And then the universe itself is continuous. Like, it is just constantly moving forward. So it's all new adventures every single time that I run it. But all set within this, this one sort of main core mechanism. Uh, yeah, and it's just such an amazing realm of creativity to be, to be a part of. It's, 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 it's truly wonderful. So, um, Sam, when you left me Saturday afternoon, yeah, um, I, I told you I was going to mow my lawn. Oh, did, how did it go? Well, you said, um, well, which lawn, what type of lawnmower have you got? And I was like, you what? Because um, apparently there's two types. Well, there's more than two. There's there's, there's more than two types. Was, sorry. Yeah, there's lots of types. I was types. kind of generalizing between hover and like push, but yeah, go on. Push? Well, if it ain't hovering, then you've got to push, haven't you? Do you mean like, but with an engine, right? Like nobody's using a like manual mower these days, surely. I've got, I've got a manual mower. 
No, you don't. You got a manual mower? I, yeah, but Dan, I do. I, do I, I have both. I have an electric one and a manual mower. Oh, Dan, and your and your stubbornness is to such a degree. It's a bit like heating, isn't it? You'd start with a manual mower and be like, "Nope, yep, here we are." Hold on. No, no. I use the I use the manual mower for the front garden because only a small garden there. It means I don't have to traipse the whole electric motor all the way through what the house. What the hell is this podcast? I'm sorry. What the hell is happening? Well, you started it. You were yeah, talking about mowing. It's a light and frothy... Inter- Basically, um, shortcut, I clogged up my lawnmower with turf because <laughs> the grass was a bit wet. I turned to Sam mm-hmm. and Sam's like, oh. I'll be all right. Can't do it when it's wet uh, and you can't do it too short. And essentially, it, it took me twice as long to mow my lawn because every so often I'd go... And I'd have to turn it on its side and and pull out the yeah. turf and stuff, and then carry Reach on. Reach into the blades, you know. Alex's father bought a robot mower. Yeah, I've seen them. Half a second, sorry, Pete. For half a second, then I know what you mean. But for half a second, I was picturing an actual a walking a walking android that was pushing <laughs> yeah. the little mower. Yeah, yeah. You got into a sort of bicentennial man. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be better than some of the mowers. Like, there's someone on my running route. There's someone who's got a uh, a robot uh, lawn mower. Yeah. And to be honest, lads, cool. that robot lawnmower ain't doing a good cut. No, no, it, it, it's, it's it's poor. I mean, he's he's keeping it maintained. Yeah, but me, I like my lines. Oh yeah, gotta have the lines. I like my lines, and that robot lawnmower, it, it's just doing its own thing. It's just like running around. I could just, I just imagine you running past, just going. Um. But even though I may have given you some questionable uh, lawnmower advice, and let's not forget that I was once a professional gardener. Campaign um, decorator and Italian yeah, chef. Yeah. <laughs> the, the most biographed man. We've all read your LinkedIn. <laughs> um, at your house, we did watch, uh, slightly RPG related, you, you finally sort of, in in the way that, <laughs> that you do sometimes, Chris, when I know that you want to do something, yeah. but you're too polite to say, let's do this thing you're like um you, what would you like to do sam i was like oh don't mind just bought some bo- uh, brought around some board games you could play some of those yeah but um i've got uh i've got uh dungeons and dragons honor among thieves i just bought, I bought that if you if, if you should, if you want to watch that i was like oh, yeah yeah we can shall we uh should we watch it like it's already in i've already done the popcorn i think we should watch it <laughs> it's just like already started yeah, yeah. before i'd even sat down it's already paused <laughs> <laughs> but that is a that is a Good film. It is a great that film. Is a, I watched that the other day, actually. Yeah. It's a really, really... It was fun. Really good. Not just a really good film, but a really good um, Dungeons & Dragons movie. Mm. Like, surprisingly, for the uh, from the source material. I did get a sense there was an awful lot of it that kind of went over my head. But it didn't bother me. There was enough in it that I, I could get. But I knew I was missing probably a lot of it. But we also had, as well as watching um, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, we also had a very good pizza. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Caprino's. Caprino's? Ooh. I mean, um, one of those ones that sounds slightly like Domino's, but not like the pizza. There's a pizza place around the corner for me called Romino's, <laughs> and it always makes you laugh. Isn't that, isn't that like the supermarket in Manchester called Teco? It uses the exact same font and colour yeah. scheme as Tesco. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's great. Uh, what else do we do, Chris? We played some games. We played, um, we played Stone Age, the classic. Oh my word! Ooh. Okay, can we can we can we just hang fire a little bit here? I know it's not, it's not the new hotness at all whatsoever. It's not. But I think it's, it's really important for the listeners to know that we're not just chasing those sweet sweet SEOs. Yeah, I mean uh, we're not. If it weren't if it weren't clear from all of the lawnmower talk, yeah, <laughs> we're not. So this is the question I want to ask you about Stone Age. Mm. How much has it stuck with you since we played it? Um, loads. So, um, little caveat here. I've spoken about this on the pod, and I'm free to admit it. If I if I lose a game, it it takes me about an hour to two hours to get over the fact that I lost the game, and then occasionally I'll just turn to Sam and say, "Yeah, that's, that was actually that was actually a that was actually a really good game." Um, right. It has really stuck. <laughs> it has really stuck with me um, because this is a worker placement game. So the way in which you take your go depends on how many pieces you've got, which each represent a worker, and you place them on the board. And by placing them there, you do the action um, that's there. And sometimes you can't go where you want to go because the other player has gone there. Um, 
and it's quite a popular mechanic in Euro games. And these tend to be quite long, quite tend to be sometimes quite sprawling and lead to kind of large amounts of analysis paralysis as you're trying to work out, okay, oh, Sam's gone there. All right, well, that's scuppered my plans. I'm going to have to go here now. Um, and and you're waiting for the other player constantly. Um, and that gets worse yeah. the more you go throughout. The thing I love about Stone Age is that it didn't feel like I was playing a watered-down worker placement because Stone Age is comparatively shorter. The board is smaller. Um, but it gave me those same sensations I get with a worker placement, but in a much more consistent and less truncated manner. And there are some lovely, lovely juicy things here that have really stayed with me where... There's a sex hut? There is the sex hut, yes. Obs. Okay, all right, let's... Oh, well, okay. I mean, I mean, obviously, um, the way it works, Pete, is you put... That's where you put two meeples down in the spot and you pick up an extra meeple at the end of the round. Right, gotcha. Yep. Yeah, no, that's... You want to increase your population? Yep. You go and visit the sex. Yep, perfect. Makes perfect sense. But, but, but obviously, but obviously, you've got to feed that population because it's the Stone Age. Yeah. And so I have to, I go to the place to hunt. Oh, no, Sam's gone there. Um, this is awkward because it might be a struggle for me to feed these these meeples i've i've been visiting the sex hut too much i've been i've been patroning <laughs> it said. too much just can't get enough of that sex hut and so it's that it's that kind of seesawing but there is also a space which is i think harvest sam or the wheat i think agriculture, agriculture or the aggie track as sam calls it which is not in the rule book and that's great because uh. if you once you go there you you go on this little sliding um uh, kind of scale where you move up there and what you do by moving up there that acts as a kind of um, a deduction of how much food you need to have in your it's like a food buffer yeah. yeah so that's really lovely you stop getting too precious about food if you're if you're going to up the aggie track more enough but as you said sam <laughs> you never lose sight of the fact that you need to feed your population so yeah. It, yeah. It, what it means then is if like sam's taking his go I can look over and see, oh, he's not got a lot of food and he's not really that high up on the Aggie track. So I'm I'm quite, I'm good for food, which means that I know Sam's going to have to go for food this round. So it means I can kind of go elsewhere. But I think, I think it was lovely to play a game, Pete, where I know for a fact if I had played this 10 years ago, this would have been the game that got me into board games. Yeah, yes. definitely. Yes. There are a few of these games you encounter thinking, oh, in a parallel universe, that would have been the game I would have played and that would have got me into the hobby. And I'm not yeah. saying that this is just a gateway game so you can move on to better and more advanced things. No, this is a game that would, I'd love it, it would stay in my collection because not only did this get me into the hobby, but it's actually a really good game. My, It, it sounds like it's my... It, it, that's the same feeling that I got with things like Catan. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's very, very robust. Nice. And it comes with a leather cup. Um, well. Of course, we all know that Stone Age was the catalyst for the miracle of Aircon, so it will always stay in my collection forever thus. Um, that was the... But, um, the other the other game... Actually, it's not really a game. It's actually a series of games, and I, and I wanted to chat to you guys about it just to see what, how you kind of gauge your thoughts on it and see how you kind of feel about it but it's a series of games from cosmos mm -hmm. called open and play and i and i don't know i just like there's quite a few publishers like helvetique are the same who are kind of branding like a series of games under different umbrella terms now so have helvetique had their fun by nature range which was like a series of games all nature themed all produced um, ethically and all out of paper and recyclable materials and Cosmos have this series now called Open and Play and the ethos with this series is they're all small box games, they all come in the same uh, magnetic flicky lid yep. design so you imagine like it's got a little magnetic flappy lid and you can you pull it open and it folds over the game yep. and then to close the box you fold that lid back over and the magnetic parts snaps so unlike a traditional uh, board game box there's not two parts to it the box is one whole thing 
Um, and the the I guess the selling point of the series is the box becomes part of the game once you open it up. So you literally do open up and you play. Like you open up and the game has been all set up. That's cool. for you, like Jumanji in 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 a roundabout way, like Jumanji. So we've actually played one of the open and play series before Chris and I even touched them. Because Dirty Pig in England, along with its expansion, is actually part of the open and play series. So whereas we got it in that cute little dinky box, there's now a version of it that comes in a slightly bigger box with the expansions, with this open and play functionality um, to it. And I guess in that way, I mean, Dirty Pig doesn't really need it, but I guess there's... Um, uh, a, a bit of a, you know, functionality there where you sort of set it up and it tells you where to put all the cards and all that kind of stuff. That's and cool. Makes a kind of moment, makes a kind of event um, out of the game. And the two games that me and Chris played, which are all, also part of the same series, was Monster 12 and Alligator. And um, both games, really small, really fun you know one minute set up 15 minutes to play um excellent candidates for just slamming in your bag games um take them down the pub i think monster 12 is my favorite of the two it's a um a little push your luck game with monsters standing around um hanging around lampposts late at night and i quite like tick, it tick, tick. so you have all these monsters on these cards and they're all different colors and the monsters have different sets of eyes. And what you've got to do is you open and play the box. And when you open the box, it has lots of different slots to put these colored dice. So you put all the dice in these slots. And on your turn, you pick up three dice, three colored dice from any of the rows, and you roll them. And if those dice match the color of a monster and the pips on the dice are more than the eyes that the monster has, yep. then you've caught that You've caught that monster, essentially. And then it's up to you to, if you want to go again. Do you want to pick three more dice up? Do you want to go monster hunting again? And you go, yeah, yeah, that sounds like fun. Throw some more dice down. Oh, I've caught another monster. Brilliant. Fill all the monsters up on one card. Oh, instead of going again, you could take that card and put it in your personal collection. Or you could go for more monsters. Or... You could go hunting again. Why not? Pick up those dice, throw them, go on. Oh, another. Getting close now to getting the whole set. Oh, This is, this is how casinos get you. I know. And this is how all gambling games get me. Oh, you didn't you didn't capture any monsters this turn, Sam. Oh. Oh, what does that mean, Earl. Chris? Oh, well, that means it's now my go. <laughs> Thank you for collecting all those, hunting all those monsters oh. down for me because now I'm going to steal them from underneath you. Oh. Which Chris did and pretty much immediately won the game. The board game bastard returns. <laughs> the board game bastard returns. But um, I, as I've said before on this podcast many, many times, I love any game that can make you gamble in a uh, very, very safe space. Uh, and Monster 12 um, did that quite satisfactorily and in a really enjoyable way. Like The, the push your luck element of it is is really good fun. Um Alligator, um I definitely would play again and I mean I have I have played it again. It works better in, in a bigger group. I think Chris you probably share my my um slight criticism of it. Um that's a game where you're trying to fend off an alligator by offering it goods <laughs> um essentially on little wooden rafts. Right. Um but what you're really doing is you just got two decks of cards. There's a number on each card. And on your go, you you can choose to play a card below any of those two decks, but the number has to be lower than the number that's already down on the deck. That makes sense. But if there's a card that's already been placed, then that number has to be higher than the previous number placed, but still lower than the card it's been played beneath. Um, right. It sounds a lot more complicated than than it actually is, but it's one of those games that's about frustrating luck and my sweet spot yes so there's not that much strategy to it but 
it is the majority of it is luck but the amount of times you play it and just you're just screaming internally inside because someone's played a card that completely ruins your turn or takes you out of the game or any number of things like that happens um i just love and you know as a game that you can throw in your bag and take down the pub it's um a really nice one how does the kind of the open and play component kind of feed into it like i don't mean it i don't mean it when i say is it a kind of a gimmick because i don't think it is but kind of does mm. it enhance the kind of the game or is it purely just a thing of okay we will do this to create a series that we can have as these open and play games or do you kind of look at so actually the component element of this of having this open box that feeds straight into the game is that enhancing or is it just like a, oh that's cute and i'll just play the game as usual i th- uh, it's, it's difficult to say really because it i think it depends the level of experience you're coming at the hobby to i think so i think if you were i think in terms of like second guessing where cosmos are coming with games like this i think they're generally aiming them at people who are getting into the hobby for the first time and i think for people like that i think it it definitely does enhance a bit of the play because a massive part of the hurdle is open box setup yep. right yep. find a place where you've got to put find a table big enough where you've got to put the board you know move that bit there put that bit in there and you know shuffle out these four cards and put those three things here Whereas, for example, like Alligator and Monster 12, you open up the box, you put the dice on the coloured places that are inside the box lid, and in Alligator, you put two cards down on the the bits of the box lid that are highlighted for where cards sit, and you begin the game. And, And because the game is played from part of the box, you can immediately sort of perceive when you buy one of them how big of a table you need, like how big of how much table space you're going to need to occupy this game because it, it just is like the the size of the box so, so it's not necessarily about enhancing the game it's about just removing hurdles to kind of to, to yes. playing it yeah like 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 for me and chris like or or for the four of us if we played alligator i don't we we would get exactly the same experience if we just had the cards on the table and we would we were just playing it um say same with monster 12 but that's because you know we're we've kind of been there and we've seen it and we've done it and i think it's a testament to to the games that they're you know really really good games and you know i definitely play them again but what i'm really interested in and applaud is that cosmos and other publishers seemingly are now going above and beyond to make them more appealing straight off the shelf I am proof of that idea that as we get older, we're less likely to listen to new music. Okay. Um, so I like—I don't like listening to the radio because I like to know what I'm listening to in advance. I like to kind of curate my listening experience. So I listen to podcasts. I think you've upset Sam a little bit by by, by your thoughts on music. I just—I yeah, don't don't like. I like to know what I'm going to listen to. I mean, I, I don't like listen it. to music really full stop. So like, um, but like, so I have like my own like. It might sound weird, but I genuinely look forward to getting in the car every morning because I have like a podcast that I listen to on a Monday, different one on a Tuesday, different one on a Wednesday. And and it's basically each week I'm catching up the latest episode of that series. Yeah. If you look at the Radio Times, it's under the Chris List. The Chris List. It sounds like Chrysalis. Um, so that, that was the intention. Okay. <laughs> so there is. And it says, it says, it says, here is the Chrysalis. And then, and then the the, the tagline is yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, no, go on. You can do it. <laughs> go on. You started. You it. It's, it's right there. No, we're all really yeah. excited for whatever it is. Did that you you're set this up? up you you got out of your way to set yeah. this up. Yeah, go on. It was definitely <laughs> worth interrupting Chris's point here. Go on. <laughs> you, go on, Sam. Bring it home. Bring it home, mate. Yeah. It's the it's the it's the chrysalis the chrysalis yeah. yeah I mean Chris gave you an out already um, you decided to go yeah, back he's in done for it already it you decided yeah, no on. the joke wasn't quite hitting hard enough yeah come on it's called the chrysalis yeah and changed already the, but the tagline is 
the the tagline yep. is um butterfly away with these okay that was definitely not worth it so um, yeah so chris please continue so on a monday i listened to but do so in a way that enables to easily cut out all of that so on a monday i listened to the Magnus archives which is kind of like the twilight zone but much more horror focused this mystical art this fictional archive that each week they're going through interviews with people talking about weird things they've observed so it's just one person talking and reading out this transcript um then i've just started a podcast this morning and my commute called murder in hr um which is features um kate mara and uh brett gelman who is from stranger things and it's a fictional company that um that does ai for boats and the company's called ships ship happens ship happens that's the name of it um the company's called and there's a murder one of them's one of the companies being killed and you're trying to solve that mur- they're trying to solve that murder um i listened to think called the media project which is um a wonderful show where it's an organization a fictional organization which fake people's deaths so you'll have somebody coming in saying i want to disappear please and that the, the episode is just having a conversation about how they're going to fake their death and how they're going to help them do that um and then i listened to the bright sessions on a Friday, which is um, the audio recordings of a psychologist and her and patients who all have super, each have superpowers, but it's done in a really kind of grounded way. But okay. my Wednesday morning, I listened to Batman, the audio adventures from Ooh. HBO Max. Now, I'm going to come to you all. When you're listening to the voice of Batman, whose voice are you hearing? Who has the voice of the Batman? When you're reading the comics, the graphic novels, what voice are you hearing? Batman or Bruce Wayne? Uh, the Batman. All right, okay. Kevin Conroy. The late, great Kevin Conroy. The late, great Kevin Conroy. Yeah. Pro- I would probably say it'd be between Kevin Conroy and Christian Bale for me. I uh, yeah, I Kevin Conroy's for me. I didn't mind um what's his chops from the Batman, Robert Patterson. I didn't mind his Batman. Oh, voice. he was very good. Yeah, yeah. He I was thought very Christian good. Bale's voice got a bit he got more gravelly and growly with each subsequent film. Yeah. Um yeah. but Don't forget Clooney. Don't forget Clooney. Don't forget Adam West. And Don't forget Kilmer. Kilmer. Keaton. Mm. I didn't mind Keaton. Oh, poor Ben Affleck. But there's a new contender I found from listening to this radio show from HBO. Um, that's Jeffrey Wright. Oh, a really the good Batman voice. Well, he's very he's um, Gordon in the Batman, isn't he? He is. He is Commissioner Gordon in the he Batman, is. but he has a very very good Batman voice. Yeah, I can see that. This series is bonkers. If you look at the credits for this series in terms of how it works, so there's been a couple of Batman. Um, kind of radio dramas. There's one I think was a Spotify original that David Goya has done, which I've not listened to yet. And there's this one on HBO by HBO Max, which previously I think you had to pay for, but now it's been so long. All the epi- the first two series are for free. You can just get them with any podcast platform. Yeah, and <laughs> it comes from. It's written and directed by Dennis McNicholas, who is a writer for SNL. Interesting. And so I was really thinking, what? Oh, is it just going to be like just something that's awfully parodic? I mean, I do like some SNL sketches, but like um, I was just worried how they could sustain what is essentially is a sketch show SNL into something that's kind of a continuous kind of drama. This is really good. Um, it, It ticks lots of boxes for me. They went in with a view that they wanted to find a hybrid of the 60s series and the 1992 animated series. So um, it uses, it leans in and uses the medium really well. So what you're listening to essentially is Gotham Radio Station hosted by Jack Ryder. Um, But it has that kind of, it has these little 1930s-esque jingles adverts in between. Um, And then you're kind of, you're tuned into scenes between characters. And there is this interesting kind of through line through it. And it, it is funny, but it does some such really interesting and creative things with characters that I have grown up with since the 90s. 
and has found some and plumbed some really original kind of approaches to them where you're starting to really engage with, say, the character Two-Face and their dual personality. Um, the Joker is really insidious in this and he's Ooh. voiced by Brent Spiner, data from Star Trek Next Gen. And okay. he, he's extraordinary in this. Um, like you hear stories about him from other people and they are some of the most cruel and vindictive stories, but they're really creative in terms of what McNicholas has come up with here. Um, the Riddler, voiced by John Le Leguizamo, which is not mm -hmm. your typical voice you'd hear yeah. for the Riddler. Really is quite nice, actually, to have quite a refreshing take on them. Um, Gillian Jacobs as Harley Quinn. Um, Rosario Dawson as Catwoman. Keenan Thompson of Keenan and Kel fame plays Commissioner Gordon. So there's a few of the SNL, a lot of the SNL people are in yeah. this series. Alan Tudyk as Alfred. Um, what? Wow. Okay. Yeah, it, it's got any it's a very stacked cast i mean the credits go on for about five minutes at the end but um this was i was not expecting this genuinely and what i really do like is you can kind of just dip in and dip out of it yes there is a through line overarching narratives so in the first series the joke has got something planned for valentine's day and that's just in the background and, and interestingly um i You'd, I'd assume I would have been quite wary about it because you don't stay with the Batman throughout. Um, you're actually, you find yourself going through all the upper echelons and the lower depths of Gotham City and watching each of these kind of characters develop really and interact with each other, rub each other up the wrong way. Alliances are formed um, and partnerships are kind of, uh, kind of divided. And it has this kind of tongue-in-cheek kind of tone of the original 60s series where it didn't laugh there was no kind of giggles except from Cesar Romero and some of the villains but it, it was a nod and wink to the camera it knew that you were laughing and it goes so, back to what you were saying Pete about you as the GM playing it straight because you knew that's where the comedy would be elicited from so it knows that it's funny um, incredible and it is genuinely a really interesting series. I'm on the second series at the moment where Harleen Quinzel or Harley Quinn has entered the picture. And I listened to a scene the other day where she has become really interested in this idea of taking on this image of the Harlequin, but she needs a really good weapon. So she goes into a, sh uh, a sports shop to get a good baseball bat. And while she's trashing the shop, trying to find the right baseball bat, she's like distracting the shopkeeper by just chatting baseball with them about in Gotham baseball and like, oh yeah, such and such. Yeah, they've not been good this year. And it is this kind of, really, it's kind of like, it's, it's really interesting. And the Riddler, for example, is being kind of like, getting, um, he's trying to, uh, he's got a real, historically has a real kind of ego problem. He's irritated by the fact that he's not seen as like a main kind of villain. And he's just completely just thrown under the bus by his assistants. And, the people in Gotham know how ridiculous it is. All the any new villains coming in saying, "Yeah, you've got to have a gimmick to survive. You need to have a gimmick. What's your gimmick, mate? Oh, you can't be a clown. We've already got a clown here, mate. And he won't like what you're doing here." Um, yeah, no, I I think it's just a really really interesting series, particularly with the Scarecrow coming into the scene, who is voiced by Bradley Whitford, um, Jake Peralta's father Ooh. in Brooklyn Nine Nine, who's got this really insidious kind of voice. Um, oh. And I just listened to a scene the other day where he's being brought in by the Penguin to give um, kind of psychological advice to Two-Face and he just picks up his coin. Originally, he produces the acid. He says, no, Two-Face, you, you, Harvey, you're just afraid, aren't you? Look, what if I just, this is the same acid I think that scarred you? And he's just got the bottle and he's like, oh, be careful not to spill it, careful not to spill it. And um, you think he's going to like throw it the other side of his face. But instead, he just takes his coin off him and just drops it in there. And Harvey just watches his coin dissolve in front of him. And it's oh wow! I don't know what's going to happen next with Two Face. It's really interesting. So, oh my gosh, this is really quite. This isn't just an SNL sketch. This is not like you know when they did that Marvel Avengers sketch on SNL with Jeremy Renner. This is actually this guy's really, really. This guy's a really good Batman writer. 
This guy's yeah. really thought about it. And he's also they also did a prequel comic book series, which I've not read, which was he wrote as well. And I think, gosh, who'd have thought an SNL writer would be a really good Batman writer? So you said that kind of like at, at times kind of you're not staying with Batman and you're kind of experiencing these conversations with these these kind of the various members of the Rogue Gallery. Does it feel more like a like an anthology series of kind of going between the different characters? Do you have like a kind of more dedicated areas to the Riddler or to the Joker and stuff like that? Or is it still kind of this is a Batman story, but this one incorporates the Riddler and it is still a Batman story, but this one incorporates Catwoman kind of thing? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't know why it's called Batman the Audio Adventures. It could be called Gotham the Audio Adventures, really, um, because um, because each of them each of them has an equal standing, really. And you think, oh, is it? right, deep cut here now, deep cut. Go on, take you back to CITV. Zap. Yeah, I'm there. Yeah, the way one episode. You may get uh, Cuthbert Cringeworth. I can't remember what his name was. Um, I can't remember the name of the, the different acts in Zap. But basically, that was a series in which this this TV remote would press a button, and you don't know which character you're going to see this t- this time round and what they've got up to this time. It'd be a short little skit. It's a little bit like that. Um, in this world, though, it's really interesting because Batman has been deputised by the Gotham Police, so Batman works formally. For the Gotham Police, so there's never there's not that sense of Batman having to kind of stay in the shadows too much, and he's not as much the vigilante. Yeah, he's not on the run from the Gotham PD. He has he is um, working with the police department, and there's this incredible coup that takes place in the second series, where Penguin teams up with Two Face because he needs Two Face's legal expertise. And they do an absolute number on the Gotham PD, which basically puts the Penguin in charge of the Gotham PD using the law. And obviously then the Batman then is under the Penguin. It's really interesting how they kind of play it. And you think, yeah, actually, logically, that would make sense. Why has nobody ever really done this before? This is great. Um, Very high production values off the chain in terms of sound design and voice acting. Um, It is sumptuous. Um, thanks, thanks, Chris, for helping me get to sleep last week. Um, really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure, Sam. Couldn't have done it without you. Is this just finding out that Chris is a human white noise machine, or no? He just prefers to be a little spoon. I just, I just want you as my jetpack, um, and fly me to the world of sleep. Now, actually. Uh, what I've been doing is I've been listening to the chamomile playlist on Spotify uh, every night as I go to as I go to sleep, and and as actually, it's actually been a wonderful salve because um, usually I listen to Max Richter's uh, sleep Good album. Shit. I listen I listen to Andy Serkis read The Hobbit. Max Richter right released an eight hour album called Sleep. So good, uh, he, and he performs it live. Which I'd like to know more about, but the idea is that you're actually meant to sleep through the work, and when it finishes, you wake up. Um, but I set a timer because you know I'm not made of money. Can't believe me. Down a streaming on my Wi-Fi all night. Jesus, Max. What, what <laughs> Come on, Max. Um, Jesus. <laughs> um, so I switched to the Chamomile playlist on Spotify that Chris has curated, uh, which. Actually, the first few nights I listened to it, actually, I wasn't getting much sleep because I kept on waking up going, what is this from? Where have I heard this from? And then, or, or the complete opposite going, oh, this is a banger. You know, what, what is this? What is this track? I'm being utterly surprised, Chris, by about, by the amount of sheer effort and detail that you've put into these playlists. Because there's, there's some tracks in there from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Mm. And you've not, you've, you know, you've, you've thought about this. You've not just gone for, oh, that's a, sounds like a rambunctious track from Guardians of the Galaxy. You've gone, no, actually. He's done well there, hasn't he? Um, you've, you've really curated it and gone, that's actually a really nice track there that will go really nicely in that, that specific playlist. There's songs in there from Devs. Remember that when we spoke about Devs? Great, great show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's ones in there. There's ones in the Camomile playlist from, uh, uh, that annoying goose game, the entitled, entitled goose, goose game, <laughs> love it. Um, 
um yeah i i've really enjoyed it so thanks thanks Lovely. chris you've been you've been with me there Pleasure. um in my sleep and if you if you uh would like to join me too in bed in being guided to sleep by chris darby then you too can listen to the chamomile playlist um that he created just go to the show notes there's a link in there um that will take you to spotify there's several other playlists now which um which which are equally as brilliant i doubt there's anything from this episode that you can add to a playlist unless uh unless you're gonna add some more dungeons and drags but that's a place to go to heartily um recommended as we always do at the end of the show and we always um encourage you to get in touch with us uh as well just send us an email yes please staying in pod at gmail.com or join us on instagram uh staying in pod um uh, where actually you can see you can see a montage i created of mine and chris's uh evening together where we played alligator uh where we played alligator monster 12 stone age and another game that we'll probably talk about oh yes next time um spoilers it's a very good game of undaunted uh battle of britain um what else that's about it really isn't it that'll do